I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in to Made for March, Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard. And Tim, the Blue Bloods, they're back. They're back. They're, they're all the way back. What a weekend it was, the Blue Blood Revival Weekend. We're going to talk about that. We'll also get into the game of the year so far between Ohio State and Michigan. I'm not going to say like an instant classic, but it was that was just a fun game from start to finish, yeah. from the tip to the final buzzer. A lot of fun watching that one. And then we'll also get to some of our news and notes throughout the college basketball week as well, including a feud between JBs. All right, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So <laughs> I know where you're we will going dive there. into all of that stuff coming up on the show. But first, if you are new here, and we know that there are plenty of new listeners at this time of the year. The calendar is getting close, Tim. We're now, what, less than three weeks away from Selection Sunday. We've got new listeners now. We get it. We're, we we know you're all you're all football heads. You all love your NBA, but it's time for college basketball because March Madness right around the corner. Hit that subscribe button if you are new, and we appreciate all of that. Leave a review, rate five stars, whatever you have to do. Hey, we like to say we we have five star listeners. All right, there's five star recruits, and and we've got five star listeners. So if you could throw us a, a five star as well, we'd appreciate that. And also check us out on Twitter at Made the Number Four March. All right, I think we start. With the game and everything that Michigan Ohio State was built up to be, it lived up to and more. Yeah. I mean, that was the most fun I've had watching a college basketball game this entire season. Back and forth, you felt the rivalry aspect. I don't know if there were fans, and I can't remember if there were fans in the stands. Maybe there was like some parents and stuff like that, but it felt like the atmosphere of a big time game. Right, the fact that you can't remember is a testament to the game. And I, I don't think there were, to my memory, but I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. It was just great basketball, like a very good product. And both these teams are just the sum of their parts is a lot better maybe than they should be. I think Michigan definitely does have some NBA talent on their roster. And ultimately, one of my takeaways here is Michigan just has a little bit more dudes than Ohio State at the end yeah. of the day, and, and that's why they went on to win this game. Like, they have a Hunter Dickinson. They have an Isaiah Livers, who I think will be an NBA draft pick this year. Franz Wagner will be an NBA draft pick either this year or if he stays and maybe holds out for next year and then comes back. He'll play in the NBA at some point, I believe. And they've got these guys that have a little bit more talent as a whole than Ohio State, but it's still just tremendous to watch both of these teams because they play together and they move the ball great and they great find team the open basketball. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to watch. And I want to get on the Michigan side of things since they, they were the victors. Hail to the victors in this one. 92 87 was the final. But just a super intense final 10 minutes in this. Like I'm looking at the, the Ken Palm breakdown and they break it down into quarters. The final quarter, so the final 10 minutes of this game was 31 to 25. I mean, that is insane that you had a basketball game with, with that much scoring in the final 10 I mean you're getting an NBA level scoring it felt like an NBA game out there and I love to see I mean you had bodies flying all over the floor but getting into what Jawan Howard meant to this game look at the players that he brought into the program this year and how they fared in this game Hunter Dickinson Mike Smith the transfer Sean D. Brown, the transfer. Sean D. goes for 15 points off the bench. Mike Smith, 11-7 and seven as a guard. Hunter Dickinson, 22-9, and nine, and was dominant down the stretch. I'm telling you, like, we, we talk so much about coach of the year, and yeah. <laughs> this is one of those performances that this was a, a, a Jawan Howard. Like, this is what he did. He brought in... These players, he's turned the program. I won't even say turn the program around, but it's tough sometimes to keep it afloat like that. And Absolutely. he's done it and then some. Honestly, I was wrong. I, I thought they would come off the COVID pause and they would show some rust, like every other team in the country, basically, with the exception of maybe Gonzaga. But this was such a long COVID pause that it really worried me what was going to happen to Michigan when they came back. Would they stay afloat? atop the standings when their schedule only gets tougher and with the exception of the first half against Wisconsin 
they have looked even better than before the pause. Honestly, it's a remarkable thing what they've done to not practice for 23, 24 days, whatever it was, jump back in, get a huge win over a top 25 team in Wisconsin who's no longer a top 25 team and not really playing like it, but still an NCAA tournament team. They get that win, they beat Rutgers, and then they win against the fourth-ranked team of the country on the road despite 30 points from Dwayne Washington. Like, they just outplayed them, out-physical. It's just a very impressive what Juwan Howard has done, and I think I'm there with you as well. At this point now, may, I think he deserves Coach of the Year, and a lot of people would say, why are you just coming to this realization? I just figured that if you've got two you got undefeated, two undefeated teams, teams, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this, it's one of those awards where whoever you give it to, I'm probably not going to be upset with. Yeah, but like if I'm picking right now, I think what Juwan Howard has done and also what he's doing on the recruiting trail on top of it, at this point, Michigan really is in as good of a spot as any program in the country right now because we're going to get to all these blue bloods and the revival they had this weekend where all of them won on Saturday and Sunday and where some of those are at. But, you know, every other year in college hoops, you'd probably say, which program do you want for the next five to 10 years? You're going right to that blue blood list. You're going to Duke, UNC, right. and maybe you still are. Maybe Duke, given that they do have a great recruiting class coming in, this is probably more of a blip, as, as Coach K always says. And I would say the same thing about Kentucky, too. It's probably yeah. a blip. Right. So, like, sure, I, I think Duke and Kentucky is still the logical answer to which program would you say has the most wins over the next 10 years has the best chance of winning it all year in and year out you're probably still going to those blue bloods but the way that gonzaga michigan and baylor have kind of closed the gap now and there's even some other programs like purdue is doing a lot of great things i would say alabama throw them in there too it's a closer gap than we've seen in a while between these blue bloods and this next crop that is up and coming teams. And if you're Michigan right now, you've got a lot of things to be happy about if you're a fan of that program because you've got a great coach who's made the transition. He did all the right things. He hired a great staff around him. He's recruiting great to keep it sustainable. The alums love him. Yeah, how could you not? I mean, this has just been a unbelievable start. And it was it was a tough position that Jawan Howard was in. Not that he inherited something too bad, but you're re- you're replacing John Beeline, who was tremendous for the program. And I'm sure that he has a lot of, of say in, in maybe rounding out Juwan Howard's staff and everything and getting Phil Martelli to that uh, top assistant role. But Michigan is in a great spot as a program, and they're really doing something that we haven't seen a lot if you're not a blue blood at this point. Like, their next 5-10 years look great right now. And on top of that, too, I, I think about with Jawan Howard, the biggest question for him was going to be, uh, can he recruit that? that Because like we knew he had the X's and O's in him. He, he was on a He's been on multiple NBA championship staffs. So the X's and O's I, I wasn't as worried about. It's who can he bring into the program? And it hasn't just been players. I think you're right. The, the coaching staff part of it, too, getting Phil Martelli in. And I even heard an interview on Titus and Tate with, with John Beeline, and they were saying how, uh, like, John was ready to give him that name and say, yeah. hey, I want Phil Mart. I, I think you should look at Phil Martelli. But Jawan was the one who did his homework and came in and said, hey, what do you think of Phil Martelli? And I think that's the interesting part there is how good Beeline has come in and just taken the program over and made it seamless. It, to me, that is so fascinating and so impressive what he has done in that regard. So, uh, yeah, no, Michigan is one of those teams that, looking looking at the future, definitely one of the brighter paths. And, and what, what, one last little note I want to get to on, on this game. I noticed, like, remember everyone was up in arms about how we didn't get Gonzaga and Baylor. This game was what Gonzaga and Baylor would have been. Yeah, and I'm glad we got it the way we got it because – Listen, Gonzaga and Baylor are probably going to meet for the national championship. I, I, I still, as great as Michigan has played, I still believe it'll be a Gonzaga-Baylor national championship. If we had seen that game play out when it was supposed to in December, especially the way Gonzaga was playing, I would have guessed they would have won by double digits maybe. I, I would have, it would have felt like an empty rest of the year for college basketball. 
And I'm glad we got the light version of what that game would have looked like to a degree in this contest. And and to me, it just kind of felt really vindicating. And we're still probably going to get Gonzaga and Baylor at some point, which is the fun part of of what we're seeing right now. So I'm, I'm glad this game happened to kind of it's not. Even, I don't even feel like it's a consolation prize. I don't want to put it that way, but it it is the next best thing to what a Gonzaga and Baylor matchup would have been. Yeah, and this game was very important because I don't think there's been enough talk about this, but getting a one seed, as because right now you look at the Big Ten, there's four four teams in the Big Ten that are kind of vying for a one seed. I don't know right. if Iowa and it's can worth really noting- get there. Yeah, yeah, it's worth noting, too, Ohio State did not move in the rankings after this game. And right. I think that was the right call. I agree. But now I would say Michigan is going to end up with the one seed. We can confidently say yes. unless they do something crazy at the end of the year in a negative direction. So right. this was kind They've of They've got like, a lot of games left, too. Like, they, they scheduled yeah. a home-and-home with Michigan State. I I don't think they'll have problems. That They might drop one of those games. Right, they, they could just because of the nature of the rivalry, all that stuff. I guess it's a little premature to get there, but my point is, whoever won this game took a big step in solidifying a spot in the on the top line as being a one seed, and that was Michigan. And the reason why it's so important, and like I said, I don't think this has been talked about enough, but if you're the Big Ten team that just misses the one line, so there's Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State, right. Michigan, all fighting for mm-hmm. it. You have to go against Gonzaga and Baylor probably in your region because right. they're not going to put you, they're not going to put two Big Ten teams in the same region. So, yeah. you, you got to hope something crazy happens and Alabama can slide into the one seed. That That is your only workaround yeah. here. But I would say, and right I don't think now, that's super far fetched, but I, I'm with you. It's likely going to be two Big Ten teams. Exactly. And let's just play hypothetical right now. It ends Michigan-Illinois. Then you take Ohio State on the five line. And let's say, just for the sake of this argument, Iowa finishes as the six line. Well, it doesn't matter where they are on the two line because they're going to play. One of them's going to get Gonzaga. One of them's going to get Baylor because they can't put two Big Ten teams in the same region. So it's just, it's not been made enough talk about because... Like, Illinois, if they just miss the one line, my chances of picking them to the Final Four go down dramatically because I don't really see them beating Gonzaga or Baylor. They already played Baylor on a neutral court and struggled. Maybe they could do it. In Indianapolis, too. Yeah, right. But if I have to pick it, I'm probably going to just... I'm probably going to have Gonzaga-Baylor in my Final Four, is what I'm saying. So it, it does change a lot of your chances of making the Final Four, and I'm sure odds and everything will reflect that. And it's, it's a bigger deal than most years, getting that one seed and getting that two seed. And it doesn't matter necessarily the first couple rounds, but the Elite Eight game could be drastically more tough if you are a two seed in the Big Ten this year. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's going to be a very fascinating Big Ten tournament. And you almost wonder, like, does it help to maybe lose a couple games and dip to that three line and and somehow weasel your way it's it's going to be a, a very very hectic process as we get down the stretch so i mean i guess credit to both of these teams ohio state and michigan um it's great to see that that not just that but the 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 2-3 gap did it close a little bit between Baylor and, and Michigan? Uh, that That's another thing to, to watch out for. I yeah. think we could see the 2-3 gaps close up a little bit because we've kind of talked about how Gonzaga and Baylor have bunched up a little and then Michigan and Baylor, that's the new step you're looking at. And then in the player of the year race, Baylor's back this week. They play tonight. Could Jared Butler maybe sneak his way back into the player of the year race? I don't know. It'll be tough. He'll have to lead an undefeated Baylor team through the regular season and, and the conference tournament. So we'll see. The The two to three gap is starting to to get come to the forefront, I guess you could say, uh, with everything. I want to talk about the Blue Blood revivals now. Yeah, let's do it. So what a week. I mean, if you are an old-timey college basketball program, this was a great weekend for you. Duke goes out. Beats Virginia, takes down the new blood in Tony Bennett. You had Villanova, they pull off the win against uh, UConn. You had Kentucky, they get the big upset victory over Tennessee. UNC throttles 
throttles. Yeah, Louisville. <laughs> I mean, I know they were coming off a pause, but oh my, that right. that was that was quite the game. I mean, even if you want to throw in some of these other teams, like Michigan State, they picked up a big upset win over Kansas. Indiana. Yeah, Kansas, they got a much needed victory against a ranked team. Even if you want to throw in Syracuse, they had the comeback win against Notre Dame. It was quite the weekend for the Blue Bloods. And I think it's time now that we look at the, this list of Blue Blood teams and maybe who is starting to work their way back into the conversation of getting into the tournament. Obviously, Kansas probably was going to be in no matter what. They had one of the best chances, and Villanova too. They, those two always felt like they were in. Carolina started to play their way into the bubble conversation a little bit, but that win over Louisville is certainly going to help them. Now the questions come down to, what can Duke, Kentucky, and Michigan State do to get themselves into the tournament conversation? Duke, they picked up the win over Virginia, big. Then, on Big Monday, they pick up the home win against Syracuse in very, very convincing fashion, might I add, as well. So I look at that matchup and what Duke has done. Have they worked their way back into the tournament conversation? It seems like there are still skeptics out there, but they're definitely trending on the up and up. Uh, yeah, I'd say they're in the NCAA tournament field now after that win over Syracuse. And I say that from a perspective of I think they will continue to win games. And they do have a tough closing stretch here, so we'll see. But, yeah, Duke is is kind of figuring things out, and it's very similar except a little bit better than UNC last year, just in the nature of, remember how in the ACC tournament, everyone was like, oh, don't want to play UNC. Like, that'd yeah. be the tough team. And then they, they got they crushed in the, the first table. round. Or in, in, uh, they got crushed. They played a game as, what, like the, the 14 or 13 yeah, season. Yeah, they, they good. They got, right. And then they got crushed by Syracuse. Yeah. yeah, and then the whole world went on pause. But yeah, right. it's, it's interesting because Duke, we probably should have seen this coming. And we probably should have seen this coming with all these blue bloods. Like it makes sense, right? All these teams have talent. That's a they're blue bloods. There, there's a reason yeah. why they were McDonald's able to acquire all Americans, it. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a reason why all these teams collectively had down years. It's because they didn't have the proper time to train these freshmen. You watch Duke play Syracuse the other night. Why'd they win the game? Because of freshmen, honestly. DJ Stored looks tremendous. Looks like an NBA player in that game. Yeah, Jeremy Mark Roach. Williams. Had, like, wh where did this come from? Right. Uh, 18 and, and 11. First career double-double. <laughs> he was fantastic. Yeah, and that that is Syracuse's lack of a center and post-presence to kind of counter him. But I, I do agree. Like, he's coming together, and Jim Beheim's whole thing, which I'm sure we'll get into that argument, was that that guy is good and they weren't playing him because of Jalen Johnson now they are and he's a great shot blocker and he's doing a lot of good things for them around the rim so I would say Duke I mean it's going to be a huge talking point when the ACC tournament rolls around assuming it's a normal-ish tournament and every team is there Duke is going to be the team that everyone's circling like oh I don't want to play them even though they're nine and six in the league and probably going to be a six seed they're going to be a tough tough out in the ACC tournament and I really think they make the tournament at this point, if I had to pick the way they're playing. Yeah, I still want to see a little bit more, because I look at the teams that they've beaten, and, like, Virginia's impressive. But the three other teams that you have beaten aren't the the best of the best, especially from the, the national landscape. But And then you just look at the three games that they were coming off of, the three-game losing streak that they had entering this four-game winning streak. Miami is not good. They fight hard, but they are just not good. Notre Dame is not a good team either, in my estimation. And Carolina is Carolina. You played a close game there. So yeah. I, I look at the, I mean, you just look at some of these losses on, on the, the team's schedule so far. And it's just, some of these are, are inexcusable. And some of them you just, you don't understand why they're playing in some of these close games as well. So I don't know. I, I'm still very skeptical about Notre Dame. They obviously are playing a lot better now. We'll see what they do because the three teams that they have coming up are, are nothing like three of the four that they just faced. You mean Duke, yeah. I, Duke, I, yeah. It's going to get tough. Um, I do think the way they played in the last two games, they played like the team that I thought they would be this season. Like almost as good as a top 25 team in the last two games. Yeah. Just I wonder when they're going to start getting votes again. <laughs> did they get, I didn't even see, long, did they I'm get sure. any? 
Yeah, did they get any this past? No, like if they I, beat Louisville on you? Saturday, they're gonna they're gonna start getting some votes. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Bartorovic. Their last four buys now after that win, they're actually the top last four buy team. So I would say they make the tournament field at this point, and it's gonna be an odd year because UNC as well is kind of doing the same thing. Like UNC scoring 99 points against. I know Louisville is off a of pause. I know, but Louisville is a good defense. They have good defensive personnel. And right. UNC, a team that has not been able to put the ball in the ocean for their standards the past two years. And the whole criticism of UNC has been, where's the offense? They have no half-court offense. Their only offense is volleyball off the backboard and them using those big guys to get putbacks. They have no jump shooters. They can't make threes. They scored 1.63 points per possession in this game. 99 points against Louisville. And if they figure out even remotely how to harness that, into the postseason play offensively they will be dangerous and then once it comes time to pick your bracket everyone's going to be picking unc and duke to go far and it's going to be so chalked to have a 10 seed carolina in the sweet 16 or a 12 seed or 11 seed duke whatever they'll end up being if they make it mm-hmm. maybe one of them like i, I would I mean, be duke, so great duke's not getting in unless they're like a nine like, like they're either getting in as a nine <laughs> yeah. or they're not getting it. Yeah, I was gonna like, say, that's how it's wouldn't it be awesome if it was Duke versus like some other elite program that's down in the first four? Like, can we make that happen? It'd just yeah. be funny. I mean, to is see the committee gonna set up Duke Carolina? Like, what, what's happening there, huh? Right. Like, can we get? I see. There's no other like like Michigan State and Kentucky. I don't see them making the tournament. I think it's too Indiana. Too how about that? Indiana. I'll give you Indiana. There we go. Duke, Indiana, in Indianapolis for the first four. I'm all like, play it in a Hinkle Fieldhouse. I don't know. Where are they playing yeah. the first four? Do we know? I know it's um, got to be one of those venues. I think it came out, but I, I, I'm not yeah. tracking. I'm not remembering. Maybe it's Mackey. Yeah. Like, go there and and play two Blue Bloods against each other. Or give me no, you know what? Th- Those two teams need to play in, like, uh, some random high school gym. Yeah, like pick exactly. the, the most Make prestigious it as weird as possible. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah, it, that that's where that needs to be played. But yeah. Um. Okay. So looking at some of the other teams, are you buying the blue blood revival of any of like the Michigan states, Kentuckys, something like it's that? It's too little, too late for them, I think. And yeah, I guess we would have said it's that when the conference Duke. tournament. Yeah, I, I think. I, I don't think Kentucky will win, but they obviously have the much better chance of winning the SEC than I would say Michigan State has of winning the Big Ten. Yeah. And Kentucky's got an interesting game at home against Florida this week. That'll tell us some more because they beat Florida early in the year, if I'm remembering correctly. They also play at Ole Miss. So, yeah, the SEC isn't very good, so they could win the tournament. It wouldn't shock me. It'd be kind of funny because then, (laughs) like, all the hate of Big Blue Nation – on Cal, would they'd have to sort of flip the script if he does pull off sort of a heroic, like, rally the troops and, and get him all the way to the NCAA tournament despite being so bad for a large part of the year. But they're just starting to shoot the basketball a lot better. And Tennessee does have some problems, too. I know they're not in this discussion, but, gosh, I, I just watch them, and they have no offense. They're so it's, inconsistent. It's, yeah, yeah, it's tough to it's watch. It's laughable. And, and I think, too, the... When I look at at Kentucky and the SEC, there's a path to Kentucky winning the SEC, but it's a lot of stuff that they can't control. They're going to have to see Bama and Tennessee. Like You could maybe beat one of them. I don't think they could beat both of them in succession, which is likely how you would face them. And I I just can't see that happening. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't see that happening. On the subject of Kansas, I do think they're kind of finding something. I know that, like, Texas Tech was off I mean, the of defense, an 11-day pause. Remember how much we used to talk about how the defense for Kansas, we thought they could be the most talented group defensively in the country? Yeah. That's what we're starting to see now out of this team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, again, Kansas will probably be on the four-line, three-line, I guess. Right now, I think they're hovering around there, and it's going to be like, do you put Kansas... Everyone wants to always have a three or a four seed, at least one sort of oddball in your final four, because you can't go totally chalk, and especially this year, it just feels like it's not going to be chalk, besides maybe Gonzaga, Baylor, and who knows about them, but 
they're going to be a, a, a sexy pick in that category because it's like, do you take Kansas? Do you take Houston? Like, a lot of these teams aren't trending in the right direction at this point besides Kansas. And I guess Villanova will also be a trendy pick and maybe the four line to make the Final Four because of their pedigree too. But I'm starting to sort of view this in a what's going to happen when the bracket is unveiled and how are people going to be inclined to pick. And all these blue bloods that we're talking about that will make, like if they make the tournament, which I think UNC will definitely make it at this point unless they collapse. And I think Duke has a good shot of making it. And then Kansas obviously is in. And Villanova, if we include them in this category, they're already in. All those teams are going to get a lot of picks. Like if, if UNC is a 10 seed against a seven on the ESPN tournament challenge, it's going to be, 85% people picking UNC, probably. Right. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting. And Kansas has that tough, tough stretch to close it out. I mean, we kind of foresaw, yeah, they're probably going to get a little hot here because they go Iowa State two times and then Kansas State. Those should be three easy games. And then what are you going to do against Texas Tech, Texas tonight, and then Baylor to close out your regular season? So far, you've got one check next to next to that list of three. And... The defense, I mean, in your last five games, the most points you've allowed is 66. So the defense yeah. has certainly figured something out. It, it was kind of like the that big Monday game against Oklahoma State gave them that jolt of energy that they needed. And they have yep. figured something out here. So we'll see. I, I'm still worried about the offense. I don't know what we're going to get out of it. Because like, even some of these games, they're winning rock fights. Like Iowa State, you beat. I know you you won with with six, or ninety seven points a couple days prior, but you're gonna win with sixty four, then fifty nine against Kansas State. That's concerning to me. Sixty seven. I know Texas Tech's a good defense, but I I need to see something. If if you are going to beat the Baylor's, Gonzaga's, I mean, even, I would even throw Michigan and Ohio State into those conversations. You have to be playing in the high seventies to low eighties. Yeah, like that—that's just the way that college basketball has trended this year. The good thing is they've been getting a lot more out of David McCormick, and they really go as he goes. Honestly, when he plays well, they look like a much much better team. And there's been stretches where he's been on fire, and then they've been on fire as a team, and then he's been really cold, and teams have minimized him. He's definitely their X factor because when he struggles, they really struggle. All right, let's get into some one and dones here. One and done, my guys. Obviously, we have one in our conference. It has a doctorate degree in one and dones, right? <laughs> so going through the weekend, I th- this was one that I want to get into because I-, I found a team that needs to be eliminated from the tournament, Tim, and that is the Louisville Cardinals. It comes out <laughs> that Chris Mack, after finally, finally, finally beating Kentucky, Hosted a maskless party at his house. There's some videos of him that have surfaced. He is clearly just drunk off his ass in in, in this video. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a team that's been on three pauses and has had to cancel games a number of times throughout the season. And you're gonna see this video of a maskless Chris Mack, and we kind of talked about this earlier about how. There, Louisville's a team that you you need to do some digging if you're the NCAA, if you're the ACC, to see if they are adhering to protocols. Because okay, one or two pauses, okay, like it happens. Well, it's been two pauses and then like two pauses and then a, a cancellation. Yeah, half a pause. It's a weird yeah. thing to quantify, but yeah, I agree so, with you. But when now you're seeing evidence of this right here, the maskless parties. And this is coming from a head coach. Yeah, too. it's not good. Like, this isn't the players necessarily being irresponsible. This is a head coach, the man who's supposed to be implementing the culture, the protocols, all that stuff with this team. And he is the one going out there acting reckless. To me, if I'm the NCAA tournament committee, I'm imposing something because th- that is irresponsible. And they've benefited from these pauses. Like, let's be honest. We've seen, the, I know the, the number has shot down since, but during these pauses, they have gone up, uh, what, the, on their latest pause, they went up nine spots in the net, I believe. Yeah, 12 from, spots, from, I think. Was it 12? So now, so, I'm looking at the net rankings now. It's it's awesome because UNC and Louisville just straight flipped, I think. Maybe not exactly, but Louisville dropped 20 spots in the net after losing that game by however many points it was. 
and they're now 53 in the net ranking right now, which puts them on the bubble, I would say. And that's what they deserve to be. They're not playing like an NCAA no, tournament. I mean, in my team. opinion, they don't deserve to be in because of the, the off-the-court yeah, stuff. I, I like, see. This but, is a... Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I know you're talking about it from a resume standpoint. I'm talking about it from... The, the net can't take into consideration that it saw the video of Chris Mack. Exactly. And, I mean, they're a team that should just be ineligible this year. This is And this is not a, a program that it's all roses and, and flowers on their, their track record of adhering to rules and stuff like that. There's a lot of, of dark, spot, dark patches in, in the Louisville history, which are, are very well documented. So right. I, I think they need to be taken out of the tournament. They should not be taking up a spot from a team who they ha- they have adhered to protocols or even some that maybe Louisville caused some of these cancellations with. I don't know if, if a so, team like Georgia Tech or Duke I or something have suffered. I agree with you, suffered. but like the NCAA can't make that decision because they just don't have... I know this Chris Mack party is one thing, but if you're doing that, shouldn't you just knock UNC out of the tournament because of Dayron Sharp and the, some of the players doing you kind could, of a similar yeah. thing? It's, it's a tough no, you precedent could. because... Honestly, as much as now, like you said, it was two pauses and then a game postponed, we don't really know what happened during the Syracuse game. Like, maybe it was a false positive. Maybe it was a player that tested positive and he wasn't doing anything wrong and he wasn't out at a party. or Like, it's just, it's yeah. tough because... I'm just saying when it's a third time that you're getting the flare-ups, like, I don't think, has UNC gone on a... I know they've had games canceled. But has it been there? I can't fault, remember. It's tough to se. keep track. I, yeah, I don't no, think they have. Um, right. But like, so, and listen, I don't think UNC or or Louisville are alone in having players or coaches go out and act reckless. I, I don't think they're alone. They just haven't been caught on camera doing it. Yeah. I just I think what you're asking the NCAA to do is impossible. I I kind of agree with you, but they can't actually do it because then it's like we got to look into St. Louis because they were off for a month. Like what were their players doing? And there's no way to get to the bottom of how much the players and coaches were being reckless or how much of it was just bad. But I also think too, when, when the evidence is hitting you in the face at times, that that's when you, you put your foot down. Yeah. But what have like all these teams had in common this year? It's that some way or some form like they've had a positive test like has anyone really made it through unscathed but no i'm not saying i'm just saying it is three times that this has happened with louisville if, if this was one or two times i'm probably not as agitated by it but when it's the third time you're seeing a, a game get canceled because of complications within the louisville program that's when that's where i draw the line i mean it's, yeah it's a, a I hear fool me you. once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. It's also like they had two pauses and they missed that game, but the way that they were able to play Saturday makes you think that maybe it wasn't like an outbreak. And I mean, it couldn't have been, right? Like all their players were basically, they didn't even really have anyone down in the game. And they actually got uh, Williams back for the first time, Malik Williams, off of an injury. He didn't play a ton and they got trounced, so they didn't end up using him a ton in the second half. But it makes you think maybe it was just a false positive or something that prevented them from playing that one game. But I'm not trying to stand up for Louisville too much. I think you're you're definitely right. There needs to be more of a punishment for what – like, you can punish Chris Mack for what he did. I mean, that's out there. There's evidence. That's cold, hard evidence right in front of you that you cannot be doing that. And he owned up to it and said it was a tough look and everything. But – yeah, you, you got to do something for that. And you're probably right. There probably is something going on or they're not adhering to the protocols like they should be. But the issue is, how do you prove that? And how do you prove? And if you're Louisville, you just say it was bad luck. And how can they prove that it was actually you not adhering to the protocols? That's the problem. Right. All right. What do you have? All right. I want to talk about Texas. I just... I, oh I like boy. Texas a lot at the start of the year. They got Kansas. It's tonight. funny. I wanted to talk about West Virginia, but that's okay. okay. We'll start with the Texas side of things here. Yeah. So they got Kansas tonight. So maybe this is all a wash and we'll see what happens in this game tonight. 9 p.m. tip on ESPN as of us recording on this Tuesday. But so 
first off, they blew like a 19-point lead against West Virginia. Their players are bickering at each other in the huddle. I forget exactly who the two players were, but I think it was Courtney Ramey, if I'm not mistaken. I don't even want to name names because I don't know exactly. Hard to remember, but two guys were going at each other. Not a good look in the huddle when that's happening right before you lose a a big game that you should have won at home and, and you blow a lead against West Virginia. Since January 9th against West Virginia, they won against West Virginia on January 9th, 72-70. They have not won a game inside the top 100 in Ken Palm since that point. Every team that they've played that has been like, yeah, they could lose tonight, they've lost. And they're only 14 in the AP poll, and I kind of get it because they're 21 on Ken Palm, they're 13-6, and six, they're playing in a tough league, they still have some quality wins, they trounced Kansas on the road earlier in the year. They beat Oklahoma State earlier in the year after then they came or went to Stillwater, lost in double overtime to Oklahoma State. But the way they're playing right now, and it was probably because of the pause a little bit, like we brought up, we talked a lot about that Oklahoma game, how they probably would have won that game if Oklahoma or if they were with their full roster in that game and Shaka Smart couldn't coach that game. But I don't know, man. Like at a certain point, you got to start picking off some wins against teams you're like supposed to be even with at least because they've won three games since January 9th and it's Kansas State once Kansas State the second time only by three points against Kansas State Mm -hmm. that's a little concerning and then TCU which was a decent 15 point win but they've got Kansas Texas Tech to finish out the year again maybe this is all wash after tonight but I feel like Texas should be a lot lower than 14th in the AP poll that's interesting you bring that up because it's kind of similar with what Kansas has left where you feel like the situation is going to sort itself out. It's going to be these big 12 teams, whether it's West Virginia, Kansas, Texas Tech, Texas, all those teams, we're going to figure out who they are in this final stretch and into the big 12 tournament because they're going to play each other a lot. Yeah. And you're going to see kind of who the frauds are among the packs. So I, I'm, that's why I'm... I'm not saying I'm not worried about a team like Texas, but we'll know. We'll figure it out. By the time we get to March, we'll know what their true colors are when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. It's just I thought of them as a Final Four contender, and I don't know if I'm quite there the way they're playing right now. Yeah. All right, next up, I've got, I mean, the the sparring battle between Luca Garza and Io DeSumo. It just keeps yeah. going back and forth. So Luca was fantastic, not once, but twice over the weekend, including setting the record for most points in Iowa history. But he goes out, has that great game against Wisconsin on Thursday. Then he sets the record with another double-double against Penn State. But sandwiched in there, and it looked like Luca had over, well, I shouldn't say overtaken, but for the people who are in the Io camp that he is player of the year, like myself, it looked like on that Thursday night he had leapfrogged him. If you were in the Io camp, it, it would be very tough to defend Io. But then Io DeSumo goes out against Minnesota on Saturday and puts together his second triple double of the season and, and the fourth in Illini history. He's got two of them in the span of a month. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like the, the, the punch, <laughs> counter punch, punch, counter. And we're going to see it again this week because like Penn State, then Luca goes out, breaks the record. That That to me is his quote unquote Heisman moment that he's had this year. And that's a testament to the career he's had. And of course, obviously, the, the season he's had as well. But I, I'm looking to see what Iowa does now down the stretch. Because you've got Michigan, Ohio State, and then a second dip with Wisconsin. And then you've got Nebraska nestled in there. But I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock. Unless he, he does something spectacular maybe to, to bring him back and, and win the game. Kind of like what Iowa did. But... It's just, I am fascinated by this player of the year race where it's just back and forth. And it's it's funny because we're coming off of a great player of the year race where it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, but they didn't play each other. Like we're going to, like we've seen Io yeah. and, and Luca do, and they're probably, hopefully, knock on wood, going to meet up again at some point in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, the key for Luca is Iowa needs to keep winning. I'm very excited for this Michigan game. I think that's Thursday, I believe. They're playing yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Michigan and, and Iowa. And they have and... Ohio State on Sunday. Yeah, that's awesome. What what a stretch of games for them. Hopefully, they all go according to script here. But the way that Iowa's been playing recently, they've kind of stepped it up on defense. I know it's only a small yeah. sample size. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but 
they made Wisconsin look bad, which isn't saying a whole lot right now. Yeah, and then a lot of people won. have made Wisconsin look bad lately. Yeah, Wisconsin is is got some problems, but they need Wisconsin needs someone to leave the program. Like Kobe King needs to leave so that they can go on a run yeah. here, like a Jalen Johnson who, type. Who thing. who should uh who should leave Wisconsin? Who <laughs> who would make who would make that team better? Who is the addition by subtraction? I, I'm starting to think it's like it's either Potter or Reavers, right? Like those guys had the game. Who who did they play where they I had think no Potter's rebounds? Been better was it, lately. Was it Iowa or, or it was the Michigan game where one of them had or they combined for no rebounds? So maybe maybe it's Nate Reavers. Maybe he needs to to take a back seat. Yeah, I don't know. They need someone because that He's was coming my off whole the bench logic. too. That was everyone's logic about Wisconsin last year and, and why they were preseason top twenty five and they'd be good is because they ended the season on such a tear last year and they were bringing pretty much everyone back. So. They have struggled recently. They've kind of uh, turned into a team that I'm probably going to stay away from in March if it holds right now. And, or, and maybe... or, or, galaxy brain moment here, Tim. Yep. Are they sucking at the right time? <laughs> it could be. Like, they're getting it out of the way, and then they'll be good. And like, I feel like Iowa third eye for that. a little bit here. It, yeah. Are they sucking at the right time? Uh, you might be onto something. Because isn't that what Iowa did? Like, there was all that talk about Franuary that, that popped up again once they got the February struggles. But they kind of got it out of the way this year. It wasn't at the very end of the year. We'll see what they do this weekend. Two tough games. I don't really think they're going to beat Michigan, but I'm very keen to see how they look against Michigan because that's a test for their defense. And at this point, the defense is trending up. And if they can get the defense to just be average – then they're in a very good spot as a team. Right. I think they're a tough out. But I mean, if you look at their Ken Palm metrics, they, they've risen defensively about 50 spots in the last week or so. Yeah, it's so amazing. The defense has, yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten better. The Penn State game kind of worried me a little bit because I was going to be interested to see how they would do against a really good offensive rebounding attack because Luca is a is a great rebounder, but outside of him, they don't have a whole heck of a lot right. that is super inspiring in terms of rebounding the basketball. But they held their own, and I know Penn State played it close, but they held their own against the best offensive rebounding team. Like if watch a Penn State game, they they are unbelievable in the offensive rebounding department, and it always makes me think like, you know, Penn State has that capability of upsetting almost anyone in the Big Ten. I know the the record's not sparkling, but they have wins against Rutgers when Rutgers was really good. They beat Wisconsin. They, they've played a, a lot of close games with some good teams, and they've hung with, like, the Iowas, and and I would even say with the sometimes the Illinois. And, and they, I mean, the first game of the, the Big Ten that they played was a four-point loss to Michigan, and they do it largely with their offensive rebounding. So... Uh, mm-hmm. I always I, I look at them and, and they're a fun, they're actually a pretty scrappy fun team to watch, but I, I actually take more. I think the the Iowa performance against Penn State pretty impressive for Iowa to to right. hold off an offensive rebounding squad like that. Yeah, I like what I'm seeing from Iowa in the past couple games, and this is gonna be a fun. Also, week hold for on. Them. The the yeah. big reason why I brought up the Player of the Year race is because we have a cease and desist order out for a oh, one right. John Rothstein. <laughs> I I don't know if you saw this, Tim, but. He put he, he he does his dumb tweets like Eric Musselman, the importer, or, or like I don't understand this one. Nate Oates, my cousin Vinny, don't understand that one. But like you know his 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 dumb. Jake Marsh, he has one for our future. guy Jake Marsh, the future. I actually yeah. just bought the shirt today. Um, but he puts out Io Desumu, made for March. Where's our? I'm just gonna that's like what? yeah. I'm pretty sure that's is that the name of the show? Is that what I said off the top? Is, is I think it is. Yeah. Is that what what we <laughs> like to call ourselves here on 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 the podcast? But so so anyway, uh season assist John Rostein. Um which honestly, of all the nicknames that he does, not bad. If it didn't take our show name, not bad. Right. But, it's, like I would and assume it's honestly though, spot on, too. Yeah, he's made like, for I March. I I agree. Perfect closer <laughs> and and he is indeed made for March, but ironically has also never played a big game in March. So also yeah. worth noting there is kind of the, the counterpoint to it all. But anyway, uh season assist, John Rothstein. Um, if you want to come on the show and explain yourself and we'll, we'll, we'll levy, we'll like pull back the lawsuit. If, if you come on the show. Yeah. How about that? We'll, we'll make right? an exception there. 
My uh, next one and then we'll keep it in the Big Ten. I want to talk about Indiana. They lose to Michigan State 78-71. But really what I want to talk about is a theme that I brought up a lot on this podcast over the course of the season. And it is their lack of guard play, their lack of shot makers on the perimeter. Because when you look at their box score in this game, and I watched most of this game, Trace Jackson Davis was a man possessed. 34 points. He's shooting the lights out of the ball. He's getting to the free throw line. He was 12 for 16 from the stripe. But their two starting guards, Rob Fennessy, Al Durham, they had as many combined field goals as you and me, Ty, over the weekend. They were over from the floor. And Al Durham did finish with four points all at the charity stripe, but he was 0 for 4, 0 for 2 from downtown. Rob Fennessy, 0 for 6, 0 for 4 from downtown. And they're playing a combined, like, 66 minutes of action. I mean, that's hard to do. You're playing a combined 66 minutes. You don't make one field goal. And it's not like this was some rock fight. Like, it was 78-71, a decent scoring game. They put up 71 points, but they're getting nothing from their perimeter players. And once again, TJD has to do kind of everything for this team. And I think they'll make the tournament. They'll be fine. They're in a tough conference. They've got some good wins. And for the most part, I just don't know what they're going to do in the tournament. Like, would you... If they get in that 8-9 game with Duke that we've prophesized here, they're, they're not beating... This team's not beating Duke. No, not not the way they're playing, I don't think, and how Duke is playing. Now, we might be overreacting to Duke, but I, I do think Duke has is, is found something for sure. Right, and yeah. It, this has I, been a problem I think it's all more year a testament of, with Indiana. Yeah, I mean, like, Indiana has lost something. They are below, I get it, the, the Big Ten is, is pumping everyone's strength of schedule, but they're below 500 in the conference. They could theoretically finish the season below 500, and if they do that, they're obviously not making the tournament. But... I look at this Indiana team, and it's the same thing I've been saying all season. They are the Oklahoma Sooners from the Trey Young year. You've got your one guy, and everyone else on the team holds him back. Everyone else. Race I mean, Thompson's Jackson, good. But Ra- Race Thompson is solid, but like, yeah, you, Trey Young, he had Brady Manick. And if Brady Man, if what was it, freshman Brady Manick was your number two, you're not going very far. If Race Thompson is your number two, you're not going very far. Yeah, you know, it's concerning. I wonder, though, like, where would they be in the ACC if Indiana was in the ACC? Because if Indiana was in the ACC, well, okay, so there's there's a number of teams they're definitely behind. They're definitely behind Florida State. They're definitely behind Virginia. I think they're behind North Carolina. And I think they're behind Virginia. Like Virginia Tech is somehow eight and three in the. Eight. I don't get that. That's what I'm saying. Um, like Virginia Tech in, in Indiana, if they met at a neutral site, which by the way, it's worth noting, Virginia Tech played Penn State on a neutral site and got smoked. I think it was Penn State, right? And the yeah. challenge in the Big Ten. In the Big Ten, I think they're probably like Clemson, right? Like Clemson, Georgia Tech. I think that's about where they would be. Yeah, they're better than Georgia Tech. I'd say. But I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I just wonder, this ACC is so puzzling to me. Because even Virginia, you could do the same thing that I did with Texas, where it's like... Yeah, and f- find the good the win. Yeah. yeah. And sure, they have looked good in some games. Like, they've taken it to Syracuse. They've won... I think they really took it to Georgia Tech the second time they played, after yeah. narrowly Con- winning the first convincingly time. Convincingly beat Carolina, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, Virginia's going to be Virginia. Like, they, they can only fall so Blew much. Blew the doors off of a, a at the time, good Clemson team, too. Yeah. They've had some convincing blowouts, but they also lost to San Francisco in the non-con when they played a, a challenging non-con game against Gonzaga, which everyone lost to Gonzaga. I get it, but they did not hold a candle to Gonzaga. They didn't right. stay in the court. Not that them, anyone so. really did, aside from West Virginia, but yeah. Yeah. And even that was the Jalen Suggs hurt game. So, yeah, Gonzaga's right. in a tier of their own, as we talked about. But I don't know. The Virginia's lost two in a row now, and they've both been on the road against good teams. But right. you could play the the whole how good are they with a lot of ACC teams. Because like I've said, Florida State has won a lot of games at home. But I do think Florida State is, is the top team in the conference. Right. I, and I think Virginia cleans up the rest of the way. They have NC State, Miami, Louisville. Two of those games are at home. I don't yeah. see them not going 3-0, and to be honest. And then we'll see what happens in the ACC tournament because, I mean, we, we can knock the ACC all we want, and they're obviously having a down year, but I still think the champion of the ACC is a pretty good team and one that 
deserves to be in the conversation of a low two seed or the top three seed. And right. I mean, Florida State, I still think can go out there and hand anyone the business in, in, in not just the conference, but like Florida State, if they were in to, to kind of reverse the exercise here, if Florida State were in the Big Ten. I still feel like they are, we would be talking about them the same way we would be talking about the Ohio State, Illinois, Michigan. I think they would be in that tier still. Yeah, no, that that makes sense to me. I'm kind of right there with you. I do think the ACC has been down for a little bit here. Like since that 2016 year where they had, I think it was six teams in the Sweet 16 or something outrageous. Yeah. They've really slipped a little bit. Um, and they've still had a UNC and a Duke pop up and go far, and Virginia is the reigning national champion. So maybe I'm overreacting, but there just hasn't been the same depth in the conference. Like right now, well, yeah, and, and it starts and ends with Duke and, and Carolina not being Duke and Carolina. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the, the and even Zion Syracuse, year. Louisville, like yeah, they're not like, they're all down, yeah, having down season. So you you need those those traditional powers to be good. You can't be relying on the Virginias and the Florida States to carry the conference year in and year out because they're more susceptible to have down years as opposed to the, the Dukes and the the Carolinas who you perennially expect to be among the top 10 teams in the country. Right. I think there was just a point in time where I said, almost like the SEC in football, the ACC is the conference and you still look at it. And there's a lot of brand names in that conference between Louisville, Syracuse, even Pittsburgh's had some, I mean, Pittsburgh was a one seed in the past 10, 12 years. You know, I'm not right. saying they're an elite They lost program. in the second round, but they, they were indeed a yeah. one seed. <laughs> right. But now you look at it and you compare it to, like, I think the Big East and the ACC are kind of on a level playing field, which is pretty remarkable because the ACC stripped all the, in theory, good teams from the Big East, and it's managed to kind of get to a level point here. Now, they have more teams in the Big East, so it's kind of impossible, but the Big East is not great this year either, and I don't really know if the ACC is that much better than the Big East. All right, you what? What else do you have in your your one and done? That, that was you, all for you me. Out? You're I, out. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm tapped um, out of one and done. I've got two more here for you: Jim Beheim versus Jim or Jay Billis. What what what's the the sparring match between the two of them right now? Is laughable. I mean, Jay Billis spent what the first like ten minutes. Of that just Syracuse kept going and game, going. it just kept going and going about Jalen Johnson and the feud with Jim Beheim. Beheim keeps throwing jabs at him. He does it on his coach's show. He's done it in now back-to-back press conferences. He said in his press conference yesterday that he knows more basketball than Jay Billis, and to that I would say Jay Billis would also agree with you. He says that people who are taking the content from his his radio show need to find a new profession. Well, newsflash, Jay Billis is a lawyer. Like he, he has another profession and probably one that I would argue and not argue, I would guess is more lucrative than whatever ESPN's paying him. And that's not to say ESPN isn't paying him a lot of money. I just know that the the lawmaking uh, or the, the, the law profession and, and being a lawyer is a very, very lucrative job. So I'd imagine he is well off and, and could leave the ESPN booth at any point and be perfectly fine with his life. But, I mean, this just needs to end. It, it, it's become a more tired act than Syracuse being on the bubble year in and year out. And, and I'm sick yeah. of it. I don't care about it anymore. Like, bo- both of them need to drop it. And I think Jay, to a degree, has dropped it. But I don't know, Bayon, though. I, mean, I don't he kept think going. Gonna, <laughs> I know, he did, yeah. But, yeah. like, he's not going to say it on the next game. And, and they just both want to be way, right. Did, did yeah. you hear his jab that he uh, <laughs> that he threw at Jim Bayheim? No, what was this? Um, so uh, I'm trying to remember the exact wording of, of but some, I heard he was very that... critical of Syracuse during the game in terms of the rotations and the defense, all that. Yeah, but so it was something along the lines of like Seth Greenberg said, like, "Oh, this person's playing the role of," of and then he inserted some old timey reference that old college basketball heads w- would just lose their minds over in love and then <laughs> billis it's from like the studio to to the game toss and then billis goes yeah and jim Beheim is getting is playing the role of seth greenberg getting blown out in cameron <laughs> and it was it was it was like the quick wit of of billis is i i love it billis 
I mean, I, I know we're we're kind of done with the feud that he's in the middle of right now, but it's it, it he, he's still great. And yeah. he he knows he doesn't know as much about basketball as Jim Beheim. Like, come on. You, you don't have to tell the short kid that he he's short. Like we get it. Like Right. That's what it's it is. It's just gone on too long. It, it was a non-story that really blew up and you know, we're we're close to Syracuse. Not to get too much into the weeds here, but Jim Beheim is poking at people like Billis. I mean, he basically said Billis should go to a different profession indirectly. I, I know he didn't yeah. call him out that way, but he said... And then said, he backpedals his way through it. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Right, but the way that he said it implied that if you are using my talk show, he said, for quotes and stories, then you need to be in a different profession. Well, Jim Beheim is listening to local callers in Syracuse call into a local talk show and say stuff about his coaching strategy and disagreeing with his coaching strategy. And then he's getting on his talk show and talking about how that local caller's wrong. <laughs> like there's yeah. this guy, Pat in Syracuse, who is famous for calling into Syracuse shows. And Beheim has kind of been in a feud with him, which is like, okay, so Jay Billis can't take stuff from your talk show, but you can take a local caller's opinion and attack that even though and bring it up multiple times yeah like it's just the, like it's, it's a little hypocritical yeah. and you know it's not it's a non-story that's gone on too long but it's a product of both of these guys first off i don't really think they even were that far off from what they're saying i i think what the problem was billis kind of implied that Bayheim was doing what a lot of other people were doing and was kind of kicking jalen johnson while he was down which he probably shouldn't have said what he said. I mean, he said it was especially a when he backs it up by saying, "I've never watched Jalen Johnson play." Like, yeah, that was stupid. That, it's stupid. The whole thing is stupid, and we've given it too much time anyway. And I think it's just two guys that want to be right, and they're going to be stubborn about it. But they really should just give it up at this point. Yeah, I do think Billis is done talking about it. I, I don't think Beheim's done talking about it. <laughs> so we'll see how it plays out. Last one I got for you here. I got got Tim. I got got. Yeah, this may be the really? first time too, but I got got. It was so there's a a guy out in Alabama who tweeted out a picture that said rumors have it that Boston is interested in Alabama shooting guard Britton Johnson. Sources say he may or may not enter the 2021 NBA draft. Oh, the so, Celtics? Uh, yeah, what you're saying? So, okay. Yeah, the Boston Celtics. And Britton Johnson, I had no idea who this guy was. Apparently, he's a walk-on at Alabama. He is friends with said reporter, William Galloway. And apparently, the William Galloway does this all the time and tweets stuff. I thought that Britton Johnson it was going to be – was like some some incoming recruit, some 2021 guy. We were going to see him skip to the draft somehow. And I was like, oh, well, Nate Oates, is he about to lose some, some big recruit? And the picture the, – the reason why I'm so, so confused by the whole thing is because the picture – is this kid, Britton Galloway, is this scrawny little white kid. And, I mean, just looking at the picture, he looks like he's he's 12 years old. And I'm like, wait, the Celtics are interested in a guy like that? And I guess they just drafted Peyton Pritchard. But yeah, I, I see well. a guy like, yeah, he is. <laughs> but I see a guy like this, and I'm like, he's in like a full Celtics uniform and everything too. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm like, what is going on here? And, and then um, I, I sent it to some buddies, and, and one of them is very plugged into Alabama. He's like, oh, no, that guy's a walk-on, and, and those two guys are just buddies, and he just tweets stuff That's out funny. like that all the time. Huh. But I got got, so I'm going to yeah, end well, up on that one. We did. I think we brought this up last time, but NATO's contract extension, 2027. Yeah. They're keeping him. I love it. He's Listen, I think we've talked about this a little bit. The only job I can see him leaving for is the NBA. Yeah, if an NBA coaching job comes available, and I think he would make a very good NBA coach, that's the only job I can see. Him I can kind of see him on the NBA sideline. I, I think he's going to oh, make yeah. it there oh, at he, some point. If yeah, I was guessing. Oh yeah, but yeah. No, I doubt. agree. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's all I got. Anything else that that you've got left over that you want to get to before we head on out of here? No, I'm all good. Uh, some good games this week that we'll be recapping probably Thursday or Friday. I mean, I brought up that Texas-Kansas game tonight as of us recording, and then maybe we'll do Friday because there's that uh, Iowa-Michigan game Thursday that I'm very excited right. about. Right, yeah. So 
we'll have all of that for you later on in the week and we'll get to our baconator bachelor and we'll also give you our weekend picks and, and spoiler alert tim i'm, I'm pretty hot i'm pretty yeah, hot. you are coming off <laughs> a, a three and oh i didn't hit my upset pick but i went three and oh so we will do all of that to close out the week with you guys on friday the game was over